Now, the one who protects us all from prattling prognosticators and perfidious pundits. I say, America, stay out the bushes. Look for the union label. And to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the government. From my cold, dead hands. I'm concerned that if we don't impeach this president, he will get reelected. It's time for the Alan Nathan Show. Here he is, the longest-running nationally syndicated centrist host in the country, Alan Nathan. Welcome aboard, everybody. Welcome aboard. I'm ever yours, Alan Nathan, the militant moderate. Once again, this is the Oasis for those who have an aversion to the left-right, black-white, two-dimensional approach. Absolutely delighted you could be with us. If this is indeed your virgin voyage, allow me to share with you our mantra. Folks, we want the Republicans out of our bedroom, the Democrats out of our wallets, and both out of our First and Second Amendment rights. We feel there exists this cavernous gap separating the two orthodoxies and that it's a gap comprised of many degreed thinking people who can argue quite passionately in shades of gray. And to that end, each and every show, we have fine guests to help best illustrate this point. Today is no exception. Also, if you wish to hook up with us on the web, it's www.alannathan.com. Don't forget that email address, alan at alannathan.com. That's A-L-A-N. Coming at you live and strong each and every Monday through Friday at this time. Don't forget the classic Alan Nathan Show, Saturday, 6 to 7 p.m. And overnight Sunday mornings, 3 to 4, all times Eastern. We are indeed a Main Street Radio Network production. Please check us out at MainStreetRadioNetwork.com. Feel free to avail yourselves of our nascent but always robust Twitter and Facebook options that we have there for you. And of course, with great dispatch and alacrity, we'd love to thank our distributor, the Salem Radio Network. That's right, the Alan Nathan Show's entering its 25th year of national syndication, all thanks to you, reaching about 800 towns and cities across a couple of hundred radio station broadcasts each week again, all thanks to you. And by the way, I don't care if you're part of the authoritarian left or perpetually clueless right, please get out of the thought control business. Our topics du jour, as you may have heard, well, 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 it just doesn't get funnier than this. Does it lefties babyishly implode after Chris Rock skewers society's preoccupation with outside outrage, uh, conjured claims of victimhood, artificial assertions of racism, you know, like those made by Meghan Markle, and of course, snarkily slaps Will and Jada Smith for humiliating themselves. Too funny. Also, Democrats say GOP demand for cuts before raising the debt ceiling attacks our health care, while the GOP claim the left spending will crash the economy, even as both ignore the removal of redundant spending that could save trillions over one decade. Should Will Smith visit both of these <laughs> both camps? you got to want. Anyway, we have assisting in the opining and analyzing old friend of the show, one of my regulars, Tom Schatz, president of uh, Citizens Against Government Waste. His editorials on fiscal policy have appeared in publications nationwide, including the New York Times as well as the Wall Street Journal. He's testified on plenty of occasions concerning government waste issues before really both congressional committees and regulatory bodies. Tom Schatz, good to have you back, buddy. How are you today? I'm doing great, Alan. Thank you. No, good to have you. Good to have you. You know, looking at this uh, tactic of the White House right now, you know, Joe Biden originally uh, went after Republicans uh, wishing to cauterize our fiscal hemorrhaging by claiming that they were out to destroy Social Security and Medicare. Now, that was provably false. Now they're instead saying the GOP is going after Medicaid while pushing for a uh, corporate tax cut, which White House spokesperson, um, none other than uh, Andrew Bate, is referring to as something that's uh, threatening to intentionally plunge our economy into chaos, kill millions of jobs. He's talking about how their tax cut is just pushing, quote-unquote, pushing exorbitant tax welfare. Uh, meanwhile, uh, you know, even if some of these cuts are legit, as you and I have discussed before, there's a whole lot of redundant spending that could be, uh, uh, you know, that could really go a long way in remedying much of our national debt, your sense of it all. Oh, of course there is, and they ignore it because the answer in Washington is not to fix a problem. It's to uh, create a program to solve a problem that may or may not exist because they don't ask those questions. It's so unlike the outside world. As we say, this is a logic-free zone inside the Washington Beltway, and they prove it every day with their ridiculous comments about destroying the world and destroying the economy, and we can't find a thing to cut. You know, President Biden says, oh, what should we cut? And every time he says that, the House Budget Committee and the Republicans send them a huge list of things to cut. And the last time, not the last time, but several times when the debt ceiling was raised, 
uh, Joe Biden, as a senator and then vice president, was part of negotiations over cutting spending. Now he's not interested. No, no, he's not. But I want to look at some of the hypocrisy on both sides, because you got former White House Office of uh, Management and Budget Director Russell Vought, or maybe it's Void, V-O-U-G-H-D. He's, by the way, currently head of the uh, Center for Renewing America. Anyway, this is a think tank with a lot of sway with the GOP-led Congress. And at least according to the reporting of the Washington Examiner, these guys are calling for, quote, $9 trillion in cuts over the next 10 years targeting federal agencies, which is cool, as well as health care, housing, and food assistance. While it aims to cut Obamacare and Medicaid, uh, the plan protects Medicare and Social Security, a point of tension within the party that Biden has sought to exploit, unquote. Uh, it's end of excerpt. Now, how many of these areas do you think can be defended credibly, and how many cannot? Well, I haven't seen their list, but I'm, I know what's out there generally, and I'm sure all of it makes sense. It's all about making sure that whoever needs help gets the help. And if that's your question, the answer is not to have, for example, trying to connect Americans to the Internet, not to have 133 broadband programs across 15 agencies, and they're trying to spend hundreds of billions of dollars when they only need about 80 to connect everyone. Who wants to be connected, I might add. So there's a good example of just complete overspending in one particular area the government accountability office as you and i have spoken about has a huge list of duplicative and overlapping programs this is all doable and nine trillion dollars over 10 years is per- makes perfect sense it's you're going to cut 10, it does make perfect sense although i think they that. could leave although i think they can leave medicaid alone i think when it hurts the poor we can get around that by getting rid of redundant spending as you and i've chatted about as you you've already referenced uh, every year, the GAO, the Government Accounting Office, reports that we misplace about $350 billion through redundant spending. And it's thanks to approximately 580 duplicative programs managed by about 180 government agencies. Now, we could stop these duplicative programs immediately while, get this, not hurting a soul. And we can do it because why? They're all duplicated. And I'm thinking, you know, regardless of party affiliation, nobody can justify this stupidity, Tom Schatz, especially when both sides of the aisle could benefit from the stoppage of this hemorrhaging practice. I mean, this would give us back about, what, three and a half trillion a decade all by itself. Forget about the other wasteful spending that we can also talk about that's so saliently obvious. This alone could do so much good, could it not? It could, but I've had conversations with members of Congress, I think particularly of Senator Ron Johnson, who's run a number of businesses, and I sat down with him and said, how do your colleagues react to when you say to them, hey, I've ran a business, I have one division to do one thing, that's it. Uh, why do we have so many programs? For instance, well, that's our job to create programs. We have to fix things. You know, well, <laughs> again, that's not how it works. Outside fix things by Washington. making them. Fix, fix things by, by making them worse. New that doesn't work either. No, you know, and you know who actually once commented on this because I've referenced it a lot of times, but I don't I haven't often enough played the clip. Barack Obama, he did this in a State of the Union address in 2011. It was in his first term. Uh, and, and you know, he was trying to uh, come across as the guy who could see how there was some room to cut some stuff. Uh, he was trying to sound reasonable. And you know what? To a degree, he did, at least on that night. Have a listen to this clip. This is Barack Obama, State of the Union Address, January 2011. Clip one, Derek, if you please. We live and do business in the information age. But the last major reorganization of the government happened in the age of black and white TV. There are 12 different agencies that deal with exports. There are at least five different agencies that deal with housing policy. Then there's my favorite example. The Interior Department is in charge of salmon while they're in fresh water, but the Commerce Department handles them when they're in salt water. I hear it gets even more complicated once they're smoked. Now, uh, you know, Tom, he hit the note perfectly that night. I wish we had had more of, of that kind of Obama in the years that followed Tom Schatz. Right, right, right. Well, you, uh, we have never heard Joe Biden use the word government waste or talk about cutting a single thing. He's only said, tell me what to cut. I can't find anything. It's unfortunate because, again, he spent all that time. He should be able to find something in all the years he's been here in Washington. Uh, and, you know, certainly you know, we do, it does make us remember that President Obama was good at delivering addresses, that's for sure. But you're right, he didn't do enough to cut. And everybody has their little pet project, their own 
area that they want to protect when they have a committee or subcommittee. And that's ultimately the problem. It's not just the White House. It's Congress, because they don't want to really cut either. Uh, We could restrain the growth. We could slow the growth of spending and end up with a balanced budget. So when they talk about... And also the cutting of taxes... Also, I was going to mm-hmm. say, the, I'm just looking at the time, and I know, I know you'll lose you after this segment. The cutting of taxes would help generate some additional revenue, would it not? Well, you're sure. The Trump tax cuts have increased revenue almost every year since they have uh, been in existence, except for the COVID years. So, of course, it generates more revenue because people create jobs with that money. Really? So a way to cut down our yearly deficit as well as reduce the national debt would be to cut Corporate taxes. I mean, it would make sense. John F. Kennedy advocated such a thing. But we'll get to that on the other side of the break. Tom Schott's always a blast. Folks, you're listening to The Alan Nathan Show right here on the Main Street Radio Network. Stick with us. You may have never heard of it, but C. difficile or C. diff infection is a highly contagious bacterial infection that the U.S. CDC declared a major public health threat, which results in an estimated half a million infections each year. C. diff infection takes hold in the gut microbiome, and debilitating symptoms may include stomach pain, nausea, fever, and severe diarrhea. If you get C. diff infection once, Dr. Dennis Durrell, Executive Director of Hospital Medicine, American Physician Partners, LLC, says there's a good chance it will come back. Up to 35% of people who get a C. diff infection may get it again. This is called a recurrence. After that first recurrence, up to 65% may get C. diff again. Rebiota is the first and only FDA-approved microbiome-based treatment to prevent recurrent C. diff infection after you've taken antibiotics for recurrent C. diff infection. It's a single-dose treatment administered in minutes during one visit to your doctor's office. Talk to your doctor to find out if Rebiota is right for you. To learn more, visit rebyota.com. Rebiota Fecal Microbiota Live JSLM is indicated for the prevention of recurrence of Clostridioides difficile C. diff infection in individuals 18 years of age and older following antibiotic treatment for recurrent C. diff infection. Limitation of use. Rebiota is not indicated for the treatment of C. diff infection. Important safety information. You should not receive Rebiota if you have a history of a severe allergic reaction, e.g. anaphylaxis, to Rebiota or any of its components. You should report to your doctor any infection you think you may have acquired after administration. Rebiota may contain food allergens. Most common side effects may include stomach pain, 8.9%, diarrhea, 7.2%, bloating, 3.9%, gas, 3.3%, and nausea, 3.3%. Rebiota has not been studied in patients below 18 years of age. Clinical studies did not determine if adults 65 years of age and older responded differently than younger adults. You are encouraged to report negative side effects of prescription drugs to FDA. Visit fda.gov forward slash medwatch or call 1-800-332-1088. Please visit rebiota.com for full prescribing information. Dear John, I was hoping it wouldn't come to this, but you've left me no choice. I'm leaving. Uncontrolled high blood pressure is really serious, and lately you seem to really not care. I've been there for you since day one, and I know you think I'm going to keep ticking. But no, my friend, I can quit whenever I want. Why can't we get back to the good times when we were more active and ate more healthy foods and you checked on me every once in a while? Is that too much to ask? I don't want to leave, but unless you stop ignoring me, what else am I supposed to do? Remember, when I quit, you quit. Sincerely, your heart. Listen to your heart and don't let it quit on you. Doing the minimum to control your high blood pressure isn't doing enough. High blood pressure can lead to a stroke, heart attack, or death. Get your blood pressure to a healthy range before it's too late. For help keeping yours at a healthy range, text PRESSURE to 97779. A message from the American Heart Association, the American Stroke Association, and the Ad Council. The mission of Paralyzed Veterans of America is clear. Accessibility. Veterans who have served and sacrificed the best of themselves deserve access to the best our country has to offer. Access to meaningful employment. Access to the veterans' benefits they've earned. Accessible homes and vehicles. And access to every part of their communities. With PVA staff working inside VA hospitals, no other veterans organization has provided more real-time ongoing support for paralyzed veterans and their families. PVA is proud to serve veterans across all branches, all generations, and all conflicts. Our nation's heroes fought for your independence. Join PVA in fighting for theirs at pva.org. 
The biggest addiction in America is attention. We are addicted to attention. Can't get enough attention. We used to want love. Now we just want likes. <laughs> Posting up pathetic pictures. This is me eating sushi, like me. <laughs> Easiest way to get attention is to be a victim. If everybody claims to be a victim, when the real victims need help, ain't nobody gonna be there to help them. And right now we live in a world where the emergency room is filled up with motherfuckers with paper cuts. Okay? Everybody trying to be a victim. He hits it on the <laughs> he hits it on the nose, does he not? Every year is Alan Nathan, the militant moderate. Once again, this is the Oasis for those who have an aversion to the left, right, black, white, two dimensional approach. Delighted you could be with us. That was Chris Rock uh, during his uh, now famous or in the minds of some infamous Netflix uh, comedy special, saying Americans are addicted to attention, and says the easiest way to uh, get it is to claim that you've been a victim, and the results of that are uh, just trying to be a victim. Just go ahead and try to be. And he's got a point, does he not? Well, the left are not at all pleased. They are just in uh, complete imploding meltdown, if you will. They're babyishly imploding uh, because rock skewered society's preoccupation with outsized outrage, uh, conjured claims of victimhood, artificial assertions of racism. Again, those made by Meghan Markle. He gets into that a bit. And, of course, he snarkily slaps Will and Jada Smith for humiliating themselves. And um, the left are up in arms. They are really up in arms. They hate what he did. They can't stand it. A Fox News reported on this. They got a headline. Chris Rock's new comedy special outrages liberals on Twitter. Shocking. Turn my whole TV off. Uh, this is a year after Smith had infamous, Will Smith infam infamously uh, slapped Chris Rock on stage. Uh, remember during the Ox Oscars of 2022. Uh, Fox goes on to write, leftist professors, journalists, and fellow comedians launched tirades against Chris Rock in response to his new Netflix stand-up special, Selective Outrage, uh, which came out on Saturday. Rock made waves after he called out Meghan Markle for her accusations of racism against the royal family. Um, and boy, uh, you know, just everybody who ever loved Chris Rock uh, is a population now in half. <laughs> See, the left just can't stand me. This is how you can always detect weakness. When people can't take jokes about themselves. When they can't do that, when they can never laugh after being teased, you know you have a small-minded, weak person sitting in front of you. I want to hear a little bit more from Chris. Clip three, Derek, if you please. Everybody's scared. Everybody full of you know, I, I'm in my own neighborhood the other day. I bumped into my, my good friend Fred. Hadn't seen him in years. Hadn't seen him in years. Fred got a new job at AT&T. Okay? So I'm like, hey, Fred, how's the job? And Fred's like, oh, I love the job. It's a safe space. I feel seen. I feel heard. There's a lot of diversity. And I'm looking at him like, it's me. <laughs> What, you think I'm wearing a wire or some shit? <laughs> what the f*** are you talking about safe space? You did eight years for manslaughter. <laughs> Nobody's safe around you. Everybody's full of shit. Motherfucker typing out woke-ass tweets on, on a phone made by child slaves. <laughs> need to cut it out, man. See, folks, this is intriguing. It really is. And Chris Rock is hitting so many notes that a lot of folks have been wanting to hear uh, come about in mainstream media for a while. And I'm one of them. <laughs> I mean, and when you think about it, it's all part of the left's rapacious, power-hungry drive for control just so they can impose their deceptively labeled racial justice and social justice, despite the first having nothing to do with equality while the second has sod all to do with social justice. Or maybe I'm being too strident with my observations. I mean, here's the formula. Relabel socialism as social justice and then attach it to a racial identity group, thus ensuring that any criticism leveled against socialism can now be characterized as an attack against the racial identity group behind which that socialism has been both positioned and relabeled. Where the hell am I wrong on this? Folks, we have to remember, their wokeism, and Chris Rock seems to be catching on to this, their wokeism is simply enslavement 
camouflaged as a, as a kind of fight for alleged fairness that's truly nothing more than forced parity, which should never be confused with equality. Okay? I mean, there's always a difference between state-imposed parity versus freedom-based equality. And Chris Rock seems to uniquely be able to um, get to the heart of the psychology that's being peddled out there. And he did a marvelous job. He really did a marvel, and a brave one as well, because he lost some fans. But the funny thing is, everybody in that audience of all shapes, sizes, and pigmentations were laughing their backsides off. Only the people at home had some folks not knowing how to have a laugh. He's even skewering companies that seem to be more interested in virtue signaling, and he's fed up with it. Do your job. Peddle your wares. Make a product that I'm interested in. Don't give me a speech. Don't give me a lecture. Uh, clip four, Derek, if you please. Not only is everybody foolish, every business is foolish. Everybody who do business, they don't even tell you about the product no more. They just tell you how much charity they do. They say, we give back. We like to give back. We don't even like the money. We just give back. I'm, I'm in the mall the other day. I went by that store. Uh, what's this thing? Uh, Lululemon. Lululemon. I walk by, and in the window of every Lululemon, there's a sign that says, we don't support racism, sexism, discrimination, or hate. And I'm like, who gives a f***? <laughs> You're just selling yoga pants. <laughs> I don't need your yoga pants politics. Tell me how you work on ball sweat. <laughs> what the f*** are you talking about, man? <laughs> I mean, it's a trip. He's getting at the heart of the woke. He's getting at the heart of the woke. Because the woke are preoccupied with outsized outrage, with faux assertions of racism. And it's all having to do with identity politics being manipulated in such a fashion as to make people feel guilty about wanting to make choices on their own, with their own individual rights. That's why you have this, this modern-day push for the repackaging of socialism, so that if you're critical of it, you can be made to look shameful. Again, with all they've done is, that's all social justice is. It's socialism relabeled as social justice. And then it's attached to a racial identity group, thus ensuring that anybody's uh, you know, attack or criticism against socialism can now be characterized as an attack against the racial group behind which that relabeled socialism has been placed. It's a trick. It's all it is. And their argument style is so banal. It's a throwback to, you know, this 2,400-year-old Athenian sophistry in which these guys live in a world in which they can get away with using an inverted burden of proof uh, structure in all of their arguments. In which the only thing they have to use are tactics of shaming as validation. Well, you know what? Americans get tired of assertions that are predicated on seemingly nothing but other assertions. People grow tired of that. They're tired of a pretext pretending to be a premise. More on this upon a return. You're listening to The Alan Nathan Show. From NAACP Image Award-nominated author Elise Bryant comes a new rom-com about two teens who overcome misconnections and find their way to love. Reggie and Delilah's Year of Falling follows two people who seemingly have nothing in common. But after a year of chance encounters, begin to think the universe may be telling them something. Dungeons and Dragons-obsessed Reggie and emotionally bottled-up Delilah meet for the first time on New Year's Eve and again on Valentine's Day and on random occasions throughout the year. They're drawn to each other, though they are each too insecure to be their true selves. So what happens once they realize they've each fallen for a version of the other that doesn't really exist? Author Elise Bryant. This is a sweet and funny romantic story in which the characters learn to overcome their fears and discover who they truly are. I hope readers enjoy going along on this ride with Reggie and Delilah and maybe learn something about themselves along the way. Reggie and Delilah's Year of Falling is now available wherever books are sold. 
The new Mayo Clinic diet has been named among the top diets by U.S. News & World Report. Dr. Donald Hensrud, medical director of the Mayo Clinic Healthy Living Program, explains what makes their program so effective. Our new Mayo Clinic diet, built by a team of doctors and medical experts, focuses less on counting calories and more on empowering users with the knowledge and ability to maintain a healthy weight. Members get access to exclusive content and videos from real Mayo Clinic doctors, healthy recipes, tracking tools, and the popular Habit Optimizer that helps users substitute old unhealthy habits with healthier ones, all through a mobile app. Instead of fad diets or crash diets that rarely work for very long, our book and online program and app helps you adopt principles for a healthier way of life, which is really the secret to long-term success. Curious to know how healthy your diet is? The Mayo Clinic has an easy three-minute quiz. Go to mayoclinicdiet.com to find out. Steven. Who said that? Me, down here. <gasps> what are you, a yellow booger? I'm a banana slug, Steven. Well, uh, what are you doing in my room? I'm your sense of adventure. Don't you remember me? Don't you know that we miss you? Miss me? Who misses me? You know, all your friends in the forest. The trees, the pond, that little fort that you made out of branches. We all miss you. Mom took me to the forest last year. I'm a slug, Steven. It took me a long time to get here. Oh, I guess that makes sense. The forest is not that far away. Have an adventure today. I'm sure your mom would take you. You're right. I should get out. I want to have fun. Play in puddles, catch frogs, and climb trees. Hey, Mom! Yeah, hon? <gasps> Stephen! What is that in your hand? It's my sense of adventure, Mom. It's telling me we need to get out of the house and have some fun in nature today. Come to the forest where the more adventurous you lives. Check out discovertheforest.org for cool places nearby. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. You know that feeling? Like every door is closing and you just can't see a way out? Being unemployed, underemployed, or just out of school feels a lot like that. But when you find the right tools, suddenly everything just clicks. Getting on that path may be easier than you think. A good place to start? Go to findsomethingnew.org. At findsomethingnew.org, you have access to resources that help develop new skills. Skills that will position you for careers in today's growing industries. From healthcare and manufacturing to cybersecurity and alternative energy. Plus, you can take advantage of online courses, certification programs, apprenticeships, and more. So you can take yourself from unemployed and uncertain to empowered and prepared for what's next. Find your path to a new career today. Visit findsomethingnew.org. A message from the Ad Council. I was in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean when it happened. There was a sudden jolt and our submarine crashed on the seafloor. We were in total darkness. That's Dr. Dejana Figueroa, a marine biologist and STEM teacher, talking about a deep sea dive she'll never forget. It's funny, when I was a kid, I was afraid of the ocean. And there I was, two miles below the surface. But as a scientist, you prepare for that. Using our training and a little creativity, we fixed the sub and finished our experiments. The dive was just too important. Every dive gives us glimpses at things few people ever get to see. Glowing creatures, fiery undersea volcanoes. When we got back to the surface, I kissed the ground and called my mom, of course. But you know what? I wouldn't trade that dive for anything. Dr. Figueroa uses her passion for STEM to discover new things and make the world a better place. She can STEM, so can you. Check out She Can STEM for more stories and inspiration. A message from the Ad Council. Welcome back, everybody. Welcome back. If you're Alan Nathan, the Middleton Moderate. Once again, this is the Oasis for those who have an aversion to the left, right, black, white, two-dimensional approach. Absolutely delighted you could be with us. Uh, so much into which we're trying to get so little time, but we're... We're endeavoring nonetheless. Lefties babyishly implode after Chris Rock skewers society's preoccupation with outsized outrage, conjured claims of victimhood, artificial assertions of racism, you know, like those made by Meghan Markle. And, of course, he snarkily slaps both Will and Jada Smith for humiliating themselves. Really just just too hilarious. Uh, and I want to get to more of Chris Rock here. We have 
um, assisting in the opining and analyzing. Old friend of the show, Akash Kajuli, uh, vice president at uh, Americans for Prosperity. His writings have appeared in outlets such as National Review, Forbes, The Hill. He's also named one of Forbes 30 and uh, 30 under 30 in law and policy this year. Uh, good to have you back. Akash, how are you today? I am great. Thanks for having me back on. No, pleasure. Pleasure as always. Um, actually, with you, I wanted to chat about the Democrats uh, characterizing the GOP demand for cuts as being unfathomable. They're, they're saying the GOP's demands for cuts uh, in order to you know, lift the debt ceiling would actually wind up being an attack on our health care. While, of course, the GOP claim the left spending is going to crash the economy. But this is even as both parties hypocritically ignore the idea of maybe removing redundant spending and how that removal of redundant spending could actually save us trillions over one decade. But they each have a vested interest in not doing so. Matter of fact, before I get into that, let me go ahead and share with everybody a clip I played earlier. This had to do with Barack Obama at a time when he almost appeared as if uh, he was maybe willing to compromise. He understood that there was such a thing as redundant spending and we didn't need it. Um, let's listen to clip one. This is going to be Barack Obama back in January of 2011 talking about how outdated our government structure is and highlighting the redundancies that were squandering much of our revenue. Clip one, Dirk, if you please. We live and do business in the information age, but the last major reorganization of the government happened in the age of black and white TV. There are 12 different agencies that deal with exports. There are at least five different agencies that deal with housing policy. Then there's my favorite example. The Interior Department is in charge of salmon while they're in fresh water, but the Commerce Department handles them when they're in salt water. I hear it gets even more complicated once they're smoked. He had a point, did he not, sir? Akash, did he have well, a point? So, yeah, I mean, of course, thir you know, 12 years ago, he had a point. He had a lot of, maybe not a lot, he had a couple things that were decent points 12 years ago that the Democratic Party has just moved, you know, 10 miles to the left from him on. Uh, but as you pointed out, it's not just the Democratic Party. Now it's even the Republican Party, right? And, you know, Donald Trump did a lot of great things, but one of the things that he completely failed on it's not only federal spending, but the direction of the party on federal spending. And what we're seeing now is both sides just demagoguing spending cuts, saying we're going to take Medicare away from old people and Social Security is going to leave seniors out in the street. Uh, it's all complete nonsense, right? To your point with redundant spending, almost a quarter, more than a fifth of all spending on our entitlement programs like Medicare, Medicaid, are what we call improper payments. They're not supporting benefits. For people who need them they are you know people with you know dead people who are still on the rolls wrong addresses things like that um and so demagoguing it it might save a few you know politicians career jobs uh but what it's doing is it's leaving us hanging out to dry with our fiscal future um you know as we become increasingly beholden to debt that china is holding and and it's cutting in on how much we can spend on other important priorities and so it's really short-sighted and a huge mistake Oh my God, it is. But what you just referenced would would actually be beyond the redundant spending. That's that would that's I guess what I would categorize more as wasteful spending. Not uh, redundant spending is a kind of wasteful spending, but it's a very particular category of wasteful spending. Because uh, and we were talking with Tom Schatz of you know head of Citizens Against Government Waste. Um, again, every year the Government Accounting Office reports that we are misplacing about three hundred and fifty billion a year through redundant spending, and it's all thanks to like about, what, 580 duplicative programs managed by about ooh, 180 government agencies. And the thing is, we could stop these duplicative programs immediately, and guess what? We would not hurt a soul. And we wouldn't hurt a soul because they're all duplicated. They're already being they, – they could still be taken care of. And regardless of party affiliation, Nakash, i got to ask you, how can anybody justify this stupidity when you think about it because both sides of the aisle could really benefit – from the stoppage of this hemorrhaging practice. I mean, this would give back to us about three and a half trillion a decade all by itself, 350 billion a year. We could get back, we could recuperate just by dumping duplicative spending while hurting nobody because, again, it's duplicated. Or am I, over, yeah. am I oversimplifying this? Your take. 
No, you're, you're exactly right. And here's the thing. The reason it gets demagogued like this, even though it would not hurt anyone, it's duplicative, it's, it's not benefiting anyone, to your point, because people are already benefiting from whatever the intention of this spending is, is that as soon as you start talking about even a dollar in spending cuts, there's some special interest group that feels like they're going to take it on the chin and they start going crazy, right? Whether it's, it's the AARP or it's some lobby group or whatever the case might be, uh, it's just so easy to demagogue spending cuts. And it's a result, really, Alan, not just of one particular program or a dozen programs or whatever. It's our broken budget process. Your listeners might know that we haven't had this what's called regular budget order, the way the law actually says Congress is supposed to make their budget. They haven't actually followed that process in, 20, in more than 25 years. And so you end up with these massive, what they call omnibus bills at the end of every year, these Christmas tree trillion dollar packages where it's either you vote for the entire thing or the government shuts down, which obviously well, that, nobody wants. Nobody wants. So people are pressured into supporting crap they otherwise would not. Uh, and and, and they, can't, they can't do things a la carte. But let me ask you, uh, one of the many capitulations that um, speaker that the speaker had to go along with in order to become speaker, McCarthy had to... to acquiesced to certain things. One of them was uh, a return to regular order, was it not? I mean, didn't some of what you just referenced uh, get revamped? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're, we're obviously in the very, very early stages of, of all those negotiations and the budget and all that. Um, and so we'll, we'll see how that actually shakes out. But yes, absolutely. And, and that was a courageous stand that they took. And obviously, members had different reasons for doing so. But to the extent that regular budget order and open process and actually making Congress work the way it's supposed to work were among their intentions it was it was very noble and very needed now let me go ahead and bring up something here where i think the gop might have some trouble because i was talking about this again also earlier with tom shots of citizens against government waste i like to have him on a lot because uh, uh that organization was actually founded by my old boss jack anderson pulitzer prize winning columnist uh, and he brought um tom shots on a couple of years after he founded it and so it's got a it's got a warm spot for me sentimental value if you will but anyway we chatted about the fact that uh, former White House um, Office of Management and Budget Director, this Russell Voigt, V-O-U-G-H-D, this guy is apparently head of the Center for Renewing America. It's a think tank with apparently a lot of sway with the GOP-led Congress. And according to the reporting of the Washington Examiner, these guys are calling for, quote, $9 trillion in cuts over the next 10 years targeting federal agencies, which I love, but also as well as uh, targeting health care, housing, and food assistance programs. While it aims to cut Obamacare and Medicaid, the plan protects Medicare and Social Security, a point of tension within the party that Biden has sought to exploit. End of excerpt. Uh, now, in your estimation, how many of these areas can be defended credibly and how many might not be able to be defended credibly? Well, here's the thing, I, and I haven't gone through in, in great detail, but of course there is spending that agencies are engaged in. They have no business being engaged in. Whether or not Congress told them to be doing it, it just is way beyond the scope of the federal government. It's beyond the purpose of these agencies' existence. And so there is absolutely you know, billions and billions of dollars to be cut. Mo- Akash, let me ask you, why is it you think that the GOP don't frame it in this fashion? Why don't we make well, those cuts that won't hurt people versus just letting the, the, the Democrats define them this is the problem they've always had they allow the democrats to define them because they're not busily enough defining themselves they could be more targeted in the references to how we have to cut wasteful spending they could be specific and say hey why don't we protect those who deserve the funds and just cut those dollars going to those who don't deserve those funds i mean i don't hear enough of that do you no but i i mean i think you're starting to see some of that now with this proposal but here's the important thing alan don't let your listeners be confused. That stuff is very important for what it is, but that is a drop in the bucket of our overall spending. So if our focus is to cut bad spending, we can do that. If our focus is to cut spending overall and rein in our $32 trillion national debt so we don't have a trillion dollars in debt that we owe China, we're not crowding out our military and all this stuff with our entitlements, that's not going to address that. And so I think we can do both. And that's really what we have to pressure Republicans to do is Cut all this wasteful garbage, but also tactical fixing. We can do both. Akash Kajuli, everybody, Vice President at Americans for Prosperity. You've seen his writings in the National Review, Forbes, as well as The Hill. Akash, always a pleasure, folks. You're listening to The Alan Nathan Show right here on the Main Street Radio Network. Stick with us.
In December, LastPass, a popular app for managing passwords, suffered a security breach, potentially exposing millions of people's personal information. When a business created to protect passwords gets hacked, it's a reminder how vulnerable our sensitive information can be when stored in the cloud. And for businesses who need to protect data, security is a top concern. To help prevent security risks, the open directory platform provider JumpCloud recently introduced a password manager. Jump Clouds Antoine Jabara. Businesses cannot always rely on an offline solution as users need to share and access passwords across multiple devices, and cloud based options aren't ideal either. Jump Cloud Password Manager takes a hybrid approach, storing data on users' devices and seamlessly syncs user vaults to multiple devices in an end to end encrypted way. This addresses some of the limitations of cloud based systems and bridges the gap between convenience and security. To learn more, visit jumpcloud.com. Vitamin B12 is important for supporting not only our metabolism, but also our energy levels. Our brain and our nerves need certain vitamins like B12 in order to function properly. Even if you're eating all the healthy foods like fruits and vegetables and getting you know great sources of protein, it's sometimes the case that you can become deficient in one or more nutrient, and that's where supplements can be helpful. So if you want to support your B12 levels, Jaro's Methyl B12 is a great supplement to consider to optimize your B12 levels. This type of B12 is recognized by the body, so it's delivered to your cells more efficiently. It's also been shown that it is a great way to make sure that you're getting a highly absorbed form of vitamin B12 and one that's gonna be retained better than other types of B12. You can learn more at jaro.com. If you came across someone struggling with hunger, how would you recognize them? By their clothes, their age, the way they speak? Would you notice a 16-year-old boy, boy who got, got his, his first, first job, job, not for extra spending money, but to help feed his little sisters? Or a mother who's in between jobs and sometimes goes to bed hungry so her kids can have dinner? Or a 14-year-old girl who signs up to every after-school activity not to make friends, but just to get something to eat? or a retiree who fell ill and had to choose between getting medicine or groceries. I am the one in eight Americans who struggle with hunger. People you pass by every day but never knew were hungry. I am hunger in America. Hunger can be hard to recognize. Learn why at IamHungerInAmerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America, 200 Food Bank Strong, and the Ad Council. My name is Judy Teeter, and I'm the mother of three boys. My youngest, Joe, was a great kid. He loved sports, music, and his youth group. One day, Joe asked me to drive him to an after-school event, which was about a mile from our home. I was driving through a green light when a car in cross-traffic ran a red light and drove right into the side of our car, killing Joe. The driver was talking on her phone, so she never even saw the red light. She was so absorbed in her phone call. Before the crash, I didn't realize just talking on a cell phone while driving was so dangerous. Now it's something I think about every day. According to the National Safety Council, about one in four car crashes involves a cell phone. Hands-free is no safer. When you're behind the wheel, put away your phone. For Joe and for the thousands of needless deaths every year. Remember, there is no safe way to talk on a cell phone while driving. Find out more at nsc.org slash callskill. I'm Ben Affleck, and I want to thank you for joining me and supporting Paralyzed Veterans of America. Our vets need you. I'm a quadriplegic. I'm definitely at risk with my diminished lung capacity. I have MS. I'm in a wheelchair, and I can't leave the house because I have a compromised immune system. I'm very concerned about would there be a bed for me? Would there be a ventilator for me? Would I be able to survive something? It's, it's just heavy. You know, it's, it's a heavy... It's a heavy moment. This is a war. This really is. Our veterans fought for us. Let's fight for them. I am so grateful for the PVA. They're making sure that we have all of the food and supplies that we need right now. We all gotta help each other right now. We can't get through this by ourselves. It's with profound gratitude that you're gonna be saving our lives. To find out how you can help, please go to helppva.org. That's H-E-L-P 
pva.org. Chris Rock, Netflix special. The left are melting down. They can't stand um, what he's done. <laughs> you know, apparently, uh, they just can't take some teasing. They just they just hate what he did. And um, it's unfortunate they can't have a laugh. Every year is Alan Nathan, the militant moderate. Once again, this is the Oasis. For those who have an aversion to the left, right, black, white, two-dimensional approach, well, again, lefties, babyishly implode after Chris Rock skewers society's preoccupation with outsized outrage, uh, conjured claims of victimhood, artificial assertions of racism, again, like those made by Meghan Markle. Of course, he snarkily slaps Will and Jada Smith for humiliating themselves. Too hilarious. Um, But the Meghan Markle take was really intriguing. I got a kick out of what he did with that. Um, I want to go ahead and have a listen to him commenting uh, Meghan Markle, Markle's uh, just <laughs> unflappable chutzpah. <laughs> I, it, it, you know, when you have people who make assertions of racism without premise, let me explain something to you folks, people, something to you folks. When you have people who make assertions of racism without premise, that's essentially committing racism in the name of fighting it. Because what you're doing is you're using race to intimidate dissent. And that's actually the fulfillment of racism. When you use race to intimidate dissent, you're committing racism. And what else are you doing other than such a thing? When you make assertions of racism without a premise, just to shut people down. There are schmucks out there who don't see the difference between issues relevant to racial conflict versus issues relevant to conflict that just might transpire between people who are not of the same race. In other words, a a white guy and a black guy can argue over the same things that might be argued by two blacks, two whites, two Hispanics, two Asians, two Middle Easterners. But for some reason, if the argument transpires between two people who are not of the same race, bingo bango, it must be a racial conflict. How evolutionarily regressive we've become in this society of ours. Anyway, back to Chris Rock. He has a lot of fun with this as it relates to Meghan Markle. Clip five. Derek, if you please. That she went through was not racism. It was just some in-law <laughs> So she's complaining. I'm like, what the is she talking about? No, they're so racist. They wanted to know how brown the baby was going to be. They're so racist. They wanted to know how brown the baby's going to be. I'm like, that's not racist. Because even black people want to know. How brown the baby going to be. So he's having fun and the left can't stand it. Oh, my God, the, the, the tweets that are out there, I, I, I can't even get into them. There's so many of them. The left have gone nuts. They just can't stand that this guy had the temerity to make jokes that skewer their side of the aisle. But this is with the woke. This is what we have with the woke. And I'm convinced the woke will be eventually put to sleep, okay, because uh, their inverted burden-approved structure in all arguments, it's, it's just not sustainable. It's not sustainable. I mean, honestly, there's a limit to how long folks can take seriously assertions endlessly predicated on what are merely just 
other assertions with only shaming tactics used as their validation. I mean, eventually, I think most catch on to the difference between a genuine premise and a woke pretext pretending to be one. I mean, look at what they do. The left's manipulation tactic is to use secondary measures of allegedly more important morals to supplant the primary measure of our right to choose for ourselves the paths we wish to take in life. And just because it might not be commensurate with the lefties doesn't mean it's bad. You know, don't project onto me an obligatory charity or a way of looking at something in the name of attaining some laudable goal before you make a connection. That's what these idiots do. <clears throat> they, 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 they essentially will make assertions that aren't tethered to any measurable standard of accountability of dialogue or debate. They'll, <clears throat> they'll use presuppositions masquerading a settled argument versus showing how the argument was ever actually settled. Um, I, I think one recent example is when they told us, you know, we should give up our gas stoves because they claim that approximately 12.7% of children have supposedly contracted asthma from them. Now, very quickly, the assertions based on a study from the unapologetically left-wing think tank energy organization known as the Rocky Mountain Institute, or RMI, if you will. But critics rightfully point out that this study ignored the findings of what is really the most comprehensive worldwide report on this issue to date from the International Study of Asthma and Allergies in Childhood, also called Isaac. That report, when it was published, utilized data from 512,000 kids out of 47 nations. And it concluded that there was, quote, no evidence of an association between the use of gas as a cooking fuel and either asthma symptoms or asthma diagnosis, unquote. Again, the conclusion was, quote, no evidence of an association between the use of gas as a cooking fuel and either asthma symptoms or asthma diagnosis. Now, folks, what you had right there until other clarity was brought was them getting indignant if you didn't go along with them. What they hate to admit is that an agenda is never validated by its stated goals. Give up gas furnaces because we want to save the children. Give up gas stoves because we want to save the children. And if you're not willing to do that, you're against saving children. No schmuck. You've just not yet shown how your agenda has the necessary properties to achieve the goal in whose name it's been proffered. An agenda is never validated by its stated goals. Why? Because that's the job of the agenda, to validate itself by showing how it will deliver those stated goals or how it will fulfill those stated principles. You're listening to The Alan Nathan Show right here on the Main Street Radio Network. The opinions you hear on the Main Street Radio Network are those of the host, callers, and guests, and not necessarily those of the station, Main Street Radio Network, its management, or advertisers. The information on the Main Street Radio Network does not constitute a recommendation, offer, or solicitation to buy or sell any product or securities. So please, consult a professional before investing. If you have any questions or comments about Main Street Radio Network, contact us at 703-719-0433 or at our website, MainStreetRadioNetwork.com.